as I speak about Chris, reminds me about this book. He, he's mentioned this to you and you've heard about it a couple times the last few weeks. So today we're starting a new series about the Holy Spirit. And I think the challenge that we face related to the Holy Spirit is, is not acknowledging that the Spirit is present, but being attentive to the Spirit's presence. So how do, how do we discern the way the Spirit is present in our life and leading us and guiding us? And that's really what this book's designed to do. I, I think the way to do that is to pray and spend time in the Word, and this book is designed to help you do that. It's a couple bucks out in the comments today. I don't get any kickbacks for this. Chris didn't, didn't put me up for this. I don't, I don't get a bonus if you buy some of those. So it's just genuine. Um, you should buy one. The Martian. The Martian. Have you seen the book or, or, or read the movie? Sorry, read the book or seen the movie? <laughs> Terrible way to start. This isn't looking good. Uh, if you have it, let me tell you a little bit about it. It's about this crew that's on Mars in the not-so-distant future. And right at the beginning of the movie, right at the beginning of the book, everything goes wrong, and most of the crew escapes in a spaceship just barely at the last minute, but they strand one guy left behind on Mars all alone, Mark Watney, okay? This is how it ends. Now, I'll wait for Chris to do that. I won't, I won't ruin it for you. That's next week. You've got a week to see it, okay? Uh, no, okay, so this one guy, Mark Watney, is stranded all by himself on Mars with no way to contact Earth, no way to contact his crew. As I say it out loud, abandoned on Mars, I realize how ridiculous of a plot device that is, right? I mean, what are the odds somebody's going to be on Mars and then get left there, right? But I guarantee, 10 minutes into the movie, a couple pages into the book, you will be absolutely hooked. It will suck you in. And why is that? I've been thinking about that. And I think it's because deep inside of us, all of us, is this fear of being left alone. Now, I'm not talking about voluntary alone time. If you've got a two-month-old and a five, or two-year-old and a five-month-old, you, you want more of that, right? I'm talking about the involuntary sort, being left alone, abandoned, forgotten. You know, the whole deserted island scenario. So I, I did some research on this. The deserted island plot device goes back at least a thousand years in literature. All right, it goes back further if you think about John in Revelation, abandoned to the island of Patmos, right? It goes back even earlier if you think about Noah and the ark who land on what is at first an island before it's the rest of the habitable world, right? This goes back a long way. It shows up in Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. It shows up with Tom Hanks, Castaway with that volleyball, and just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, tale of a faithful trip. I had this dream of us singing that together. You think we could do that? Could we start at the end with Gilligan? We're going to include the professor and Marianne. We're going we're gonna to test your acapella chops, ready? With Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star. Professor and Marianne here on Gilligan's Isle. I don't know if that was heretical, but if so. Oh, uh, this goes back a long way. Maybe there's nothing new under the sun, including plot devices, but the reason that that deserted island scenario gets used again and again is because it works, because it speaks to the sphere that we have of being left all alone. You don't have to go to Mars to see this. If you just drive over, go up Farm Road or where Sycamore View dead ends, over there behind Shelby Farms, 
There's the penal farm, <clears throat> Shelby County Correction Center. I've been spending some time there on Wednesday mornings teaching a Bible class with Hope Works, and I had visited jails a few times before, but I, I haven't spent a lot of time inside one. I think the first thing you notice when you go in there is the faces of the guys and the ladies in there, because most of them just have this kind of listless despair a lot of the times. And you think when you first get in there that they're mad, you know, that they're mad at the judges who put them away or the police who arrested them or just mad to be losing this time that they've gotten out in prison. But it's not that, actually. Once they start to open up, and as they have in this class, almost to a person, the thing that's bothering them is family and friends who promised they would write or visit and haven't shown up and haven't written a word. It's not, it's not that they're mad. They're just really sad. They feel forgotten, out of sight, out of mind. This woman in one of the classes said, I promised my daughter I'd never miss another Thanksgiving, and I'm going to miss this one. She feels forgotten, hasn't seen her daughter in over a year. One of the men thinks he's getting a letter from his old lady, as he calls her, his wife, and it's a note saying that she's leaving. She's done waiting on him. You know, they just have this crippling sense that they are forgotten. Okay, this deserted island right by Shelby Farms. Right by Shelby Farms. But the other day, this, this one guy, and he can't be more than 24. I mean, he's a young guy, but he's got four kids, all under the age of four. And he had been pretty down on the dumps the last few times we were there. He hadn't heard anything from his wife in a while. But I came in the other day, and he was just absolutely beaming when I came in. And he brings this letter to me. I can, I can see this letter. It's folded up, the trifle. He brings it to me, and he puts it in front of my face. He says, read this. And I open it up, and there in the front, it's a long letter, but there on the front, in big green letters and marker, it says, I still love you, even though you're dumb for getting locked up. <laughs> and you would have thought she told him he'd won a million bucks. I mean, he was overcome with joy, right? To know that she hadn't left, that she was still there for him. It changed everything for him, that he wasn't abandoned. I think that fear of being alone is so central to what it means to be human. That that's what Jesus is going through on the cross. Okay, one of the graces that God becomes man and suffers alongside us is that he understands our fears. And on the cross, like we talked about in the video last week, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, we tend to think what Jesus is upset about is the pain that he's going through or the pending death that he's, he's facing. But what is far worse than either of those for Jesus is this sense that God has turned his back on him, that he's left him there, that he has abandoned him. And so I think it's because Jesus understands what it means to be human and what our central fears are, that just before he leaves, he says to his disciples this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, a counselor, a helper, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. So just after saying earlier in this chapter that he's about to leave 
And just after dealing with the anxiety that that obviously causes his disciples, this fear that they're about to be left alone, he puts his hand on their shoulders and says, stop, stop, stop. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send my very self to live inside of you. And my spirit will be with you forever. I promise. You'll never be alone again. The Holy Spirit is not a new thing. It's been around since the beginning. It's not in the first verse of the Bible, but it's in the second verse. The Holy Spirit of God, God's breath, is hovering over the waters as God's creating the world while it's still dark. You skip forward a chapter and God breathes his Holy Spirit into Adam and he sparks into life. His breath, his spirit comes straight from God. In Isaiah chapter 43, the Holy Spirit is God's, it's, his, it's how he thinks, it's his mind, the way God makes decisions. And in Psalm 139, the Holy Spirit is God's presence, and it's everywhere. Do you remember what David asked in Psalm 139? Where can I go to flee from your spirit? The answer, nowhere, David. It's everywhere, man. But that's how it was for David, God's favored son. It's not like that for everybody. And that's the problem. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is this fickle thing. God can withdraw it at any time that he chooses. He starts doing that as early as Genesis 6. And we could, we could just ask King Saul about how it feels to have the Spirit of God with you one moment and then it be gone the next. Right? The Holy Spirit is this unpredictable thing, which is a problem for people like us who want more than anything predictability consistency. It's, it's the same reason you don't want your spouse to cheat. It's the same reason you don't want your friends to move away and go to another school. It's the same reason you don't want soccer practice, the time of soccer practice, to get changed, right? Because consistency communicates reliability. They needed to, to not just think God was there, to not just experience him a time or two, but to know God was there all the time. And yet, despite the Spirit's track record in the Old Testament, they just keep coming back to it because it's so good when they have it. In fact, we might say it's, it's the only thing that's really good is when they've got the Spirit. So Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, looks out one day, and he finds himself in this valley of bones, dry bones, I mean, these bones are dead, dead, right? They're not playing possum. There's this, Lindsay and I take a walk every evening around the neighborhood, and by this fence off to the side, there's this possum that's been playing dead for weeks. <laughs> weeks. I mean, he's good. These bones aren't like that. They're dry bones. They've been there a long time. I mean, they're, they're dead, dead. And God tells Ezekiel to preach to the bones, Okay, and as he does, which is this kind of creepy thing, they start to become animated. They're drawn together, they take on shape, these bones, and suddenly one by one they're covered in sinew and muscle and skin. And then there before him standing are these fully assembled humans, except for one thing, they don't have breath or spirit. And so God breathes his spirit into them and they come to life just like that, and which is good news for Israel. Because at the time, they feel like dry bones, they're in exile. They feel like these bones who've been left and forgotten by God. And God says, no, you're not forgotten. You're just like these bones. And my spirit can bring you back to life. 
My spirit can bring you home. That's what my spirit can do. In verse 14 of chapter 37, he says, I will put my spirit within you. Okay, enter Jesus on stage right. One of the first things that John wants us to know about Jesus when he arrives on the scene is that he is giving out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and John says in 133 that he, Jesus, is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, hey everybody, this guy is giving out the Spirit. So this is why Jesus matters suddenly. Okay? They haven't all figured out that Jesus is going to die for the forgiveness of sins. They haven't figured out that this is God's Son. There's, none of that's been articulated yet. It hasn't been written down in the Gospels. Paul hasn't written on that yet. None of that has been figured out. It's something else. So you remember when you'd be playing basketball in the driveway? And, uh, or maybe you were coloring with sidewalk chalk out there on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden you'd hear this faint music playing. And it'd get louder and louder. And you're like, that's the ice cream truck. And you'd run and you'd beg your parents for some money. And you'd get on your bike and ride like mad. This was before kids had to stay in their driveway, right? And you would just take off to go get that ice cream, right? All right. What, when Jesus arrives on the scene, before everybody knows that God has sent this, his son to the world for the forgiveness of the sins, before any of that, what they hear playing over the loudspeakers, is that this guy has the Spirit, and he's given it out. And that's good news, because they feel alone. They feel abandoned. They feel like dry bones, so they jump on their bikes, and they ride like mad. And when they get there, Jesus tells them in John 3 that they've got to be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, sign us up. And he says in John 6, it's the spirit that gives life. And they say, that's what we're here for. And he says in John 4, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. And they say, well, that's why we rode all this way. But then he dies. He dies. And all their hopes and dreams of this real, full, abundant life with God, they just die right there on the cross with him. And so, like we talked about last week, when the tomb is empty and Jesus in his resurrected body appears to the disciples locked away in that little room, these disciples who were sure that they have been abandoned again, what does he do? He breathes his spirit onto them. Remind you of anything? Adam in the garden, dry bones in the valley, he breathes his spirit onto them. But this time it's different. It's forever. He says, the spirit of truth, this advocate, this counselor, this comforter, this helper will be with you forever. This spirit will abide in you. This is different. You'll never be alone again. A few weeks ago, I got an email from Bill Ivey, and most of you know Bill. A few weeks before that, he was in the hospital. And if, if you know Bill, you know what an inconvenience this was for him to be in the hospital. Most of Bill's mornings start really early out on his front porch that overlooks Macon Road with coffee and the Word. And a lot of times those mornings, guys from this church will gather around him to soak in old man wisdom, as he calls it. They just sit around Bill and just listen to him talk about the Word of God. 
And he'll typically go from there to play racquetball with a guy here who's about half his age. And somehow, while beating him, he simultaneously encourages this young guy to be more faithful to his wife. And he goes from there to this lunch at Taco Bell where a group of Highland men gather who need a mentor like Bill, and he shares with them about purity and faithfulness as a dad and as a, as a husband. And then he goes from there, and he and Kathy open up their home in the afternoon to counsel couples at Highland that are in crisis. They do this all the time. And then he goes to bed late at night after doing all of this, reading his newest Civil War magazines because, well, a lot has happened since the last issues. <laughs> the hospital was such an inconvenience for him. But when I visited him in the hospital, he was smiling. He wasn't worried at all. And before I knew it, we were talking about my kid's sleeping schedule. And I, I was there to... To visit him. Their sleeping schedule's awful, by the way, just if you wanted to know. But I was there to visit him. Well, he had been on medicine for a few weeks. They were hopeful the medicine would be enough, but about two weeks ago, I got an email from him, and the subject line said, so, comma, a doctor's report, dot, 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 dot. And this is what it said. Well, this has not turned out like we thought. The doctor's visit, CT, shows that we have not improved as much as we thought we would. A surgeon's visit is planned on Wednesday. Rehab is lengthy. Thank you for the prayers and kind words. This is part of my journey, and I am glad my father is walking me down the path. It's a beautiful Monday. Rejoice in it. Blessings, Bill. How do you become that kind of person? I don't know of another answer but the Holy Spirit of God. You know, the counselor, comforter, keeper. How, I mean, how do you become the kind of person that really has peace and patience and joy? You know, that has this goodness inside of you, that has this self-control and something like this happen. What do they call those things? Fruits, fruit, fruits of the Spirit? Am I the only one who knew that? You know that. But the Spirit is not about easy. The Spirit is not about easy. You remember that, those commercials with the easy button? That's not the Spirit's button. You may remember in Matthew 4, it's the Holy Spirit of God that leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days where he can't eat and where the devil keeps harassing him. It's the Spirit of God that leads him out there. But the Spirit is not about easy, but but is about partnership, about friendship, guidance, comfort, and truth, like Jesus says here. The Spirit is this busy thing. And in the next few weeks in this series, Chris is going to show us what, the, what Jesus says the Spirit does for us, which we read about in John 14, 15, and 16. If you want to be reading ahead, I encourage you to do that. But I just today want you to know what Jesus says first, that the Spirit is abiding in you, that you are not alone, the Spirit is abiding in us, with us. And I think sometimes the Spirit is hard to see. It's hard to sense. Sometimes we feel like Jesus or like those dry bones feel like that we have been forgotten, we've been abandoned. Sometimes we wish for something as plain as a letter and green marker that said, I still love you even though you're dumb. You know, we would, we would take that from God. But what we've got is so much better. We've got the Spirit inside us. You are not alone. 
Inside those who have been baptized with the water and the Spirit lives God himself. The way, the truth, and the life is inside of you. And sometimes you'll sense it at this place with this body in the church because the Spirit dwells in the church in a special way. Somebody will bring you a casserole when you're sick or some soup when you're sick. Or somebody will pass you in the hallway and they'll say, well, how are you doing? And you'll say, I'm just fine. And they'll say, no, no, really? How are you doing? And you'll think, well, that was nice. And you'll think, oh, no. Oh, maybe that was the Spirit. And you won't feel so alone. Or you'll get one of those bad diagnoses. You'll walk out of the hospital and you'll feel numb all over. But suddenly you'll get in the car and this, this calm will just kind of come over you. Or you'll, you'll get one of those calls in the middle of the night. And you'll stand up and you'll begin to slip your clothes on. And as you go for the door, you'll just have this sense that whatever happens, it'll be okay. And at that moment, you'll remember the Holy Spirit. And you'll give thanks to God. Because you're not alone. He will abide in you. He will be in you forever. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God and you want that experience, we'd love to baptize you today in the waters behind me. If you are just needing prayer, I will be down front for a few moments. We have shepherds in the back, and then I'll make my way back there shortly after that. If you'd like to meet me there, we would love to pray over you, and we'd really love to baptize you and offer you the Holy Spirit. Will you stand and sing with us? Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that